Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to The Postscript. Welcome to The Postscript, a weekly YouTube series and podcast uh, where we are talking with pastors uh, who are also professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute. And this week we have a very special guest, uh, Pastor Alan Shelby of Harvest Baptist Church of Blue Springs. And he's a dear friend of mine and uh, has influenced many of the pastors in the Living Faith Fellowship. And I'm really excited about having him here. We're going to have a great conversation today. So welcome, Pastor Alan Shelby. Thank you. Glad to be here. You are, you're very formal. Uh, yes. So you I, t- tell us about why you're so formal yeah, today. Yeah, just uh, came from uh, a, a funeral okay. I had this morning. So uh, actually came straight from there. Yeah, you rushed here, and we're, we're yeah. glad that you came. And plus, they, you know, they told me that you, know, you, you are really, you know, the way that you dress— Mm-hmm. You know, it was really hip, and and really, and I knew I needed to compete with that. Otherwise, you, yeah, because we want to like if there's any fundamentalists that are watching, we need some well, serious yeah, counterbalance. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate the fact that you came, and uh, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, so, Alan, the very first question, I think a lot of people don't know you. You're a quiet guy, you know, and uh, and there's a lot of probably people in the fellowship who would like to know you better. And so I'm just going to start by asking you some personal questions about your faith and how you came to know Christ and how you ended up in the ministry. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your life. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in a home that um, maybe my parents would have called themselves Christians, but um, that was religion was never a subject that was public. It was never talked about, kind of private. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a good relationship with my father in the sense that he was, you know, probably at least borderline alcoholic when I was drink when I was growing up. He was mm-hmm. drinking, and I was a kid. And so, out out of that, uh, you know, I think my personality as it developed was pretty shy and introverted. And uh, but I got saved watching a Billy Graham television crusade uh, when I was 11 years of age. Wow! And you know, I think uh, sometimes we think that the gospel has to go just a certain, certain way, and you have to start with sin, and you have to, well, you know, as an 11-year-old, you don't have as much a sense of that. But by that time, I had been to a funeral or two, mm. and I knew that someday it was going to be me in that casket. So whenever I heard Billy Graham say, you can have eternal life in Jesus Christ, it was like you know, finding the fountain of youth. And so when he had everybody pray, I prayed. And, you know, so it kind of started there. My parents, since they did not go to church, well, then I didn't go to church. Mm. And uh, so I really didn't know anything. So I never <clears throat> grew up believing that, you know, God could use me in any, any really special, significant way, but I always had a hunger for the Bible. And so I went to Bible college just because I wanted to learn the Bible. Now, in, a, in between now and that, or that, your salvation to that point, did you have friends that were Christians? I mean, what led you to Bible college? I mean, that seems like a big jump. Yeah, yeah. So since, uh, you know, the good thing about Billy Graham Crusades, they got the gospel out very, very well, not as much follow-up in terms of discipleship or anything like mm-hmm. that. So as, you know, a 12-year-old, um, I saw in the, I don't know, in the newspaper someplace an ad for Bible correspondence courses. Wow. So for the next three years, three or four years, I took every course that the Seventh-day Adventists offered. 
Wow. So very nearly became a Seventh-day Adventist. But a, a friend of mine in the neighborhood, just across the street from where I lived, someone from Blue Ridge Baptist Temple came and visited him and said, hey, you know, we have a church bus. We have a bus and we'll come by and pick you up. I was like, well, okay, then, uh, you know, I can, we can do that. So really the first church I went to was Independent Fundamental Baptist mm -hmm. Church. Uh, you know, very good in gospel preaching. So uh, um, kind of all evangelism all the time. Um, but as, uh, you know, as I grew into uh, high school and college, you know, there's a sense in which you can kind of feel like you're dying on the vine because there's yeah. no feeding. You don't feel like you're really learning the Bible uh, beyond a certain level. And so I went to Bible college just because I, you know, wanted to study the Bible. And my major was not pastoral ministry. Really? What were you majoring in? Well, so I majored in biblical studies, and particularly New Testament biblical studies. And, uh, you know, for bachelor's degree, my minor uh, would have been New Testament Greek. Mm -hmm. And um, then a Master of Arts degree also in Biblical Studies. Um, so, uh, you know... Which, it, which school is that? Uh, so Calvary Bible College, okay. now Calvary University here okay. in Kansas City area for bachelor's degree. And Luther Rice Seminary, which is kind of nominally affiliated with Southern Baptist for, um, uh, you know, seminary degree, master's degree. And uh, other doctoral work after that towards um, expository preaching degree, hmm. but uh, mainly in biblical studies, and because I wanted to study the Bible. Sure. So how did I become a pastor, or how did I read? Well, I, I volunteered. I don't know. I stepped out. And again, I, you know, my view of spiritual gifts would not necessarily be that you only have one. Mm-hmm. Or that you necessarily have one stronger than another one per se. I think I think giftedness is based upon opportunity and need. I've heard you talk about this before. So, like, yeah. if there's a need that arises, is God not capable of outfitting a person to meet that right. need? Right. And some people will think you need this special call, and unless you feel or you hear a special call, and some people do get that. So, so some people do, but I did not. My, you know, the result of where I'm at is simply a result of, I hope, walking with God, following God. Mm -hmm. So I was called to salvation. Mm -hmm. Out of that call to salvation came service and ministry and further leadership into specific uh, ministry niche mm -hmm. uh, in terms of pastoral ministry. And you, so this, we just discovered this just a couple of years ago, that you came to Blue Ridge Baptist Temple the same way I did on the bus. That was, the, you know, that was the church that I Maybe grew up in. Maybe you came on my bus. I, I was a, I was a, uh, you know, bus captain for a couple really? of years. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. This would have been in 84, 5. So that was a couple of years after I left. Okay. All right. So we just missed each other then. Yeah. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, we're together now. That's, that's right. What counts, that's all right? that counts. <laughs> so, how did you end up pa pastoring? Like you started talking about that. How did you end up actually in a pastoral role? Well, so you know, I went to a Bible college, and as I was nearing the end of Bible college ministry, um, the college and career pastor at Blue Ridge moved on to another job someplace else. Mm -hmm. 
And so I asked Pastor Daly, well, you know, what do you think? I mean, I'm about to get my degree. And uh, so uh, for whatever reason, he said, okay, not sure that he should have, but he did. And, you know, what I discovered was I'm, I can be very shy, I can be very introverted. But if I'm the one at the head of the aisle, I'm not allowed to be shy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he would always do the invitations where you walk down the aisle and you yeah. come to the front. And if I'm the one at the front of that aisle, I'm not allowed to be shy. So, uh, you know, spiritual gifts, I think, step in at that point for the opportunities that you are mm-hmm. put into. So, I mean, I didn't know that I could necessarily be a college and career pastor, but the opportunity was there. And uh, so I asked, and he said yes. And and so we started with that um, initially way back in the day. Wow. And so then the opportunity at Kansas City Baptist Temple arose. Like, how did, how did that transition take yeah, place? How so, did you put the temple? Uh, so, so... I was there at Blue Ridge Baptist Temple. As I finished up my degree officially um, out of Calvary University and kind of needed a more of a full-time position, then I taught for a couple of years at uh, one of the Christian schools in the area. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, now that my paycheck is not tied to that, then, I mean, I think Christian schools are fine. I think, I think, uh, Homeschooling is fine, but neither one is right for everybody. Mm. And, you know, perhaps like what you can find in, in a lot of churches, uh, you know, I, my experience was you had kids in Christian school, and I was dealing with high school age, uh, who uh, didn't really want to be there. But the parents are wanting the teachers to kind of take over their role in loco yeah. parentis yeah. and to act as parent. I get that. Uh, on a spiritual level, because for whatever reason, it's not happening at home. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so, you know, there were some number of kids that I'd say, you know, it's just easy, you know, for any of us to slip into being past master at leading a double life. Mm. So you one way with your peers and another way in front of parents, teachers. And I, and I was the like the counselor. I was the uh, uh, you know, a Bible teacher, but also school counselor, as it were. So I had to deal with some of those messages. Or, or kids that were struggling emotionally at school. Yeah. Yeah. And I was young. And it was, sure. so it just wasn't, uh, you know, probably wasn't as good a fit for, you know, a number of reasons. So... When I came to Kansas City Baptist Temple, I just came to uh, hang out and uh, knew of, uh, you know, the person there who was college and career pastor. So we had done some things together. And then now his class had become something kind of totally different. And um, so for whatever reason, shortly after I came, you know, he and Jeff asked me to start a new college and career ministry there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we did that. And, you know, from there, just, uh, you know, in, in 1998, we split. We were to divide and, to, and multiply, mm-hmm. double in five years by mm-hmm. dividing. So I took it literal and gave Sam Miles the college. Yeah. And I took the career. And uh, we went from there. Yeah. So um, this, is a, this is a complimentary question. When was your f- first exposure to the concept of discipleship when did that take place and uh, and how did that begin to impact your ministry or the way that you thought about ministry 
Well, <clears throat> I think there's, you know, I'll say, let me first off uh, get the nuance right, okay. difference between biblical discipleship and discipleship. Sure, sure. I, even uh, when I was there at Blue Ridge Baptist Temple in the last couple of years that I was there, there was a feeling that I think Pastor Daly also acknowledged that people are desiring something more, mm-hmm. and we we need to maybe reasonably provide that, uh, so they you know we're not constantly the feeder system for other churches. So my first exposure to discipleship would have been him teaching through Navigator's material on Mm. Sunday nights before the Sunday night service to a number of, you know, people who were kind of the old guard, I guess. So it was not really a concept of discipleship other than, I suppose... And I and I left right after that point, but I suppose, you know, we would we would have tried to take those navigator lessons and utilize them somehow. Okay. With someone else. Because I remember going to those Sunday nights too, but I, really all I remember is the afterglow and yeah. uh, really starchy foods. Why don't we have desserts. those anymore? Well, because maybe we're more more cognizant of the fact that that. We, our body's a temple. Well, <laughs> I don't, maybe. I don't know. We don't have enough old ladies that are willing to, to spend the time and, making you know, There's another desserts. church we know of in Baltimore. They call it a rap session. Ah, we just you need know, to change so the name. The, huh? We just need to change the name. Yeah, that could be. Uh, and uh, although I think the afterglows were not exactly rap sessions about no, the that's service. that's true. That's true. But those, those would be, you know, might be good to have. They would be. Especially, especially if there was some cheesy potatoes present. So yeah, so I'll just move on from there. But so there's, <laughs> there was discipleship. Then really, first exposure to biblical discipleship was at Kansas City Baptist Temple. Even before I had gotten there, and since I had, you know, had contact with college and career pastor there, and we, uh, I say collaborated. He allowed me to bring my kids to a retreat that he had. Mm. He'd have an Easter retreat every year. Uh, I, I was aware that he had eight very basic fundamental lessons, eight lessons that he, he either he would, my impression was he would take people through. Mm-hmm. Um, then when I got to KCBT and shortly after that, maybe the very next year, Shepherd School was started, then... You know, a couple of the illustrious graduates, including one that you've had before, Greg Axe, mm-hmm. took that, developed it into 16 lessons, structured it. And I think the philosophy of discipleship, uh, discovering that was uh, maybe more of a collaborative work uh, through some other resource materials. Mm-hmm. And it's so, like, oh, this is how this fits. Was it built on the concept initially that Navigators has this lesson? Was I mean, if Navigators was maybe one of the, the standards at the time, should we create something that's more doctrinally sound, more mentorship oriented? What was it? The, no, the, where I was the shift taking yeah, place? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't no. think it was done with any side glances to what anybody else was doing. Mm-hmm. I think there was simply a sense at that time among those who might be mavericks within the movement that we needed to have a way to actually train people up in the Bible 
mm-hmm. besides just the things we were doing with Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night visitation, Saturday morning bus visitation, right, uh, and that type of thing. Right. And we needed to to own the education piece because there was some sense of those who were mavericks in the movement that the ed, that the system had failed and that the education piece um, was not what it should be. And by, by system, you mean in biblical Christianity, this Sunday school to seminary perspective, where, where there wasn't deeper training or next step training going on within the context of the church. Is that what you mean? Or? Well, I would say that I think that there, you know, for one thing, there is just a system. We talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. But when you break out the world to its components, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, there's a system. Right. There's that system. Because of that, everything tends to devolve that way over time. Mm. So within evangelicaldom, yeah, there's a system, Mm -hmm. I think. But also within Baptisthood, there was also a system, certainly within inde- what I can speak to directly, independent fundamental mm-hmm. Baptists. There was a system, and it was not always a good system. And I was just, you know, I don't know how transparent we should be on these podcasts. Hey, man, it's as transparent as you want to be. <laughs> but I was uh, just talking with another pastor yesterday, not from this area, but mm-hmm. uh, that we were having in. And he and I were talking about how he grew up in a similar type church. It was not the same name in terms of background. Uh, you know, it wasn't Baptist Bible Fellowship, but it was another independent Baptist group. Mm-hmm. And and he was surprised, you know, as he got on staff, uh, when he could observe, you know, pastors get together and say things you would never say, either certainly not from the pulpit, but not even among your church members. Uh, or jokes or whatever. And okay, uh, you know, and we can all devolve to that, but that that's also part of the system. And it's a shame. Mm-hmm. But when you if you if there is no discipleship and you do not know any better and you have not seen any better, then it devolves to the world. So there's there's a system with regard to Christianity in general, mm-hmm. but there was also a system within the independent Baptist movement and we got a breath of fresh air, I think, with um, you know Jeff being called to pastor that church pastor from Central America, yeah. yeah, because he had he also had gotten degree Luther Rice. He was kind of outside of the you. I mean, he was from the system, but outside the system, right. and had been isolated in a in a war zone where he could develop a biblical philosophy, maybe picking up from different areas. I don't know how much influence, let's say, something like Navigators or Southern Baptist has Master Life or, um, I don't know, maybe maybe Youth for Christ had something at the right. time. Uh, Campus Crusade sure. had something. I don't know how much influence from those areas, but by the time the idea got where we were at with what we knew we needed, I think we it was simply... Uh, lessons that were developed in the heart of a pastor for his people. Mm-hmm. And we and said, these are the topics. Here's what needs to be said. Right. And so you mentioned Pastor Jeff Adams, for, and for people who aren't familiar with, with uh, Jeff Adams, he was a pastor missionary in Central America, in El Salvador, uh, through the late 70s, early 80s. 
right. uh, who came back home to Kansas City to pastor Kansas City Baptist Temple, and with him, he came, uh, he brought this concept, uh, or at least was uh, instrumental in in creating what we refer to as yeah. a as a form or a philosophy of biblical discipleship. Yeah. And he he was also saved through reading a Billy Graham book. Wow, Peace with God. Yeah, when I remember he was a college that. student. I remember that. Yeah, and so. When I think about how God used him, I also think about the, the significance of church planning and, and missions as a catalyst for the way we did discipleship or the way we do discipleship today. So like, it's discipleship becomes a building block for something much greater and a much broader vision. And I think you can only have something like discipleship if your objectives and your vision are as big as what well, we want to save the whole world. Am, am I right, or how yeah. do you think about that? Well, yes, but now you used a phrase to describe him that would have never been used in the system. Okay, so you described him accurately as a missionary pastor. Mm. But in the mindset of the time, there were pastors and there were missionaries. Mm. And pastors are like here, and missionaries are like here, and they're, and they're different. And some sense in which they felt like missionaries worked for pastors and for churches. Because of the financial situation that surrounded, you know, it was a pastor's decision ultimately whether or not they funded missions. So the business aspect Uh, of it. That might have been part of it, but Mm -hmm. probably just from the mentality of the pastoral leadership of the time. Mm that uh, they didn't know any better, wouldn't, uh, weren't, were not taught any better, or whatever. But that was kind of the, the viewpoint of the system. And, and once they set up their own schools, then I, I have heard it described that the school that was central to the movement that we were part of, if you were a missionary, you could not take Bible classes. You couldn't take pastoral classes. Now, now, I was biblical studies major, but I took preaching and I took counseling. Uh, I mean, there were, uh, I took pastoral procedures, mm-hmm. although that was not my major. But the mindset of our ilk of that day was, you know, pastors here, missionaries here. Um, since, since uh, you know, Jeff was willing to stay through a war zone, for 10 years in, in Central America, then um, he, uh, I think he was free to come back with uh, no, um, you know, prejudices and, and right. with a, uh, you know, there was a uh, free, free spirit, a sp- spirit of freedom. So he could, fl- he could flip the system on its head because yeah. he was far yeah. enough so outside. So we didn't have system. to do anything like it. We didn't owe anything to anyone. It, we were able to. Be, it was from the beginning was more of a maverick Truly church within the movement. Yeah, in some regard. Yeah. So before we we close out this this segment, I want to ask you one more question. So you're kind of famous for around these parts for coining the phrase "ministry runs on the rails of relationships," which was. Obviously, uh, a phrase that came from your heart for discipleship. In other words, uh, discipleship um, in your heart uh, resulted in this this phrase that now we use kind of in a ubiquitous way anytime we're talking about ministry. Tell us where that phrase came from and... And, and why, and, and why it's so significant to you even today. Yeah. So, I know, you know, I don't have many things that are original. 
Yeah. And I, <laughs> I sometimes think, you know, if a pastor's too original, then he's boring. Right. And we can tend to get ingrown eyeballs. So um, like with Spurgeon or many others, you know, 70% of what I preach is going to be collated mm-hmm. probably from various research and study that I've done, as well as in the Word of God. But sure. there was some point at which um, I was emphasizing ministry and having a church in which every member can be a minister and seeing as I met with pastors and we talked about discipleship, how I could tell the churches where it would succeed, you might say, and the ones where it would not. Because in the ones where it would not, the pastor would not be willing to let every member be a minister. Mm -hmm. Ministry was something, you know, reserved for himself or... Uh, a few number of people, as opposed to allowing the congregation to be involved in ministry. Right. And so somewhere in that, in you know the middle years maybe of uh, college and career involvement, that was just one of those Sunday things that just came out. You know, ministry runs on the rails of relationships. Was it in your notes? Maybe. I don't remember. I don't know if it's but something it I very... thought of as I was preparing to preach or something just came out of right. preaching. For you know, And I'm, uh, apparently, a lot of the original things I don't put out there because I'm not very famous. But that particular <laughs> phrase yeah. struck a chord. Now, later, I think it struck a chord because people were really emphasizing relationship side of things. Mm-hmm. But, but my point was... Um, you know, we want you to minister, and unless we are willing to break down the barriers that prevent us from interacting on an equal level with international students right. who do not look like us, do not eat like us, do not smell like us, do not believe like us, unless we are willing to have these significant relationships, we will not have ministry because mm-hmm. at UMKC, who we were working with, um, you, you, you know, a church working in international student ministry cannot proselytize, but we don't proselytize. My, my goal was, and I put this in proposals and documents to them, we want to love and serve those students in the bonds of Jesus Christ. And some of them may look, look at us and say, hey, I'd like to be like you, but it's an even level playing field or I mean, it, it is. It doesn't work this way much, but it is. Some of my kids could have looked at them and said, oh, I think I want to be a Buddhist. I think mm-hmm. what you have is better. I'm going to be Hindu. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I really want to. And it could have. Um, but unless we were willing to have the relationships in a way that was not patronizing right. and in a way that was respectful and honoring and interested, mm-hmm. then we would not have ministry. So ministry runs on the rails of relationships. I don't, I don't know how you win anybody Christ without a relationship. I mean, I know some people get saved reading a tract, right? But that's not God God's preferred method. I do not believe. And I, I think I think what it's done for me, and I think the ministry that I've been involved with, is that it reminds me that what I'm doing is not some sort of formal transaction. Um, that that my objectives are not. Uh, as, as simple as leading someone in a prayer uh, or convincing someone of my position. My, my objective is to love someone in the yeah, power of Christ. Exactly. And as I build a relationship with them, and yes. really uh, a lot of our ministry today 
at least in the Living Faith Fellowship, is functioning under a premise that says, lead with love, and it will create opportunities beyond your wildest dreams yeah. in terms of presenting the gospel. Yeah. And that's certainly, that's where living faith steps in mm-hmm. within this fellowship. Because if you're out to love and serve in the bonds of Jesus Christ, the only way they're going to see Jesus Christ is when you love and serve like he would have. Yeah. Uh, not not when you convince them of a thing or you argue them into a position or whatever, whatever. So, but now check this. If ministry runs on the rails of relationships, as, as my wife reminded me not too long ago, relationships run on the rails of ministry. So your relationship should, once you're a mature Christian, mm. your relationship should run on the rails of ministry, which means your next step is always relationships. Mm which scares us to death, those of us who are introverts. <laughs> but it's exciting. And by the way, your wife is really wise. She, she said that. She, she taught you that. Is that what you're saying? She, uh, she so, pointed this out so, to you. Just... <laughs> so I should like and tag her when this is posted, right? That's what you're right. saying. Yes, yeah. yes, okay. you absolutely yeah, yeah, should. You got it. And yeah. maybe I should be interviewing her next. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us in this episode. We'll come back together next week with Alan Shelby. We'll be asking him more questions about discipleship, uh, about uh, this crisis of truth in our society today and even in our churches. And so I'm really excited about that conversation. Come join us next week on The Postscript. If you've got questions about Living Faith Bible Institute or The Postscript, please visit lfbi.org.